Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. everybody um i am beside myself with excitement uh, because not only uh, are, are we resurrecting the zooms the dumdy dum zooms but we have a proper proper guest of honor charlotte higgins how are you i'm very well i'm super sorry for being late to this amazing party i am i have to admit that i'm slightly um flexibly working uh what i'm trying to say is that i i've i'm this is a working day for me and i'm just skipping out uh for a few minutes to speak to you guys i'm slightly guilty which is why i was late because i was sort of embroiled well, in listen no worries work, so very nice to see you all <laughs> listen utterly no worries what what we did was um we were just going around having a little bit of a chat just saying later everybody seeing where they were and, and actually we we couple of years ago at the height of covid uh, uh, we made a real thing of this on a friday instead of having instead of having the 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 pleasure of listening to the archers on a friday we, we, we did this um kind of every week we had all manner of actors on uh on, on the show and, and it was a wonderful thing so i didn't think that anybody would, would actually turn up but we do have um 17 of us on this zoom call and uh, we have even more actually on on uh, on YouTube, so we have a right royal uh, smorgasbord of archers fanatics who have come 
to ask you some hard questions, Charlotte Higgins. I hope you've got some in-depth answers for us. I'll do my best. I'll do my Smashing. best. I, I no. very much admire your pronunciation of smorgasbord there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Listen, I, 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 listen. I, I, I grew up in uh, I grew up in Stockholm, so that's the it, that's ah. the of the Stockholm pronunciation of smorgasbord. Very um, good, very good. First off, you have taken over the mantle of this uh, monthly Guardian um, Archers column. From, from from a legend um how's it feel a year plus in are you are you filling her shoes adequately or do you feel like woof you know these are some big shoes to fill uh, no one's ever going to fill nancy Banksmith's shoes adequately and there are there are moments where i think why did i do that because i i did it on a on an absolute whim actually i i suggested it because as you as you know royfield because i interviewed you for it i wrote a big piece for the guardian um, like a 5,000 word piece on the archers and its cultural significance that went, uh, that, that was timed to the archers 70th birthday. And it was after that, I felt like, you know, I've been a lifelong listener to the archers. I've accum- now accumulated quite a lot of knowledge about the way the archers is made. Um, my, my obsession with the archers is not only undiminished, but probably uh, fueled by this experience. So on a whim, on a complete whim, one day I just emailed the radio and TV editor at the Guardian and said, um, "How about I do a month in Ambridge?" And I didn't really, I did not think uh, that's a really stupid thing to do because, like, basically the one of the say three greatest writers the Guardian has ever employed invented that slot. So it was a really stupid thing to do. <laughs> anyway. Um, and the, you know, and also when you when you when you fire off these emails, you actually expect them to be greeted by um, infinite silence. But in this case, <laughs> I got a really quick response. Um, you know, that's a great idea. Let me just discuss it with blah. And then within a day or so, I, so I, I got the gig. And then I thought, gosh, I've got to do it. And then I thought, gosh, Nancy. So I wrote Nancy. Um, I wrote Nancy an email. Um, and I think the commissioning editor also wrote to Nancy, you know, obviously we wanted to be sure that Nancy Nancy herself was okay with this. And I just got, I got the most incredible email back from Nancy, which was, um, you know, something to cut out and keep. And it was a bit, not only was it um, incredibly encouraging, but also it was written in pure Nancy Banks, Smith, best prose. And... <laughs> just said you know you should do it please yourself no one else is going to do it for you you know you just do, do it do it and you know and and she just gave me a shot to the arm and I thought well if Nancy thinks it's okay then it's okay so I did it but I think in answer to your question about how does it feel a year a year and a bit on I think it feels like um I'm finding my way of doing it which obviously is not the same as, or, you know, as good as Nancy. But the one thing, and I, and I don't, I don't, I try not to look back at Nancy's old columns now, because I did read them all when I wrote my enormous piece about the archers, but I don't look at them now and kind of weep with despair. But I do feel that um, the thing that she's, the thing that I, the big thing that I take on from the way she did it um, is that just to pretend that it's real. 
you know, just to treat this, to treat the characters as if they're real, never to talk about the acting or the direction or the spot effects or the actors um, as such, or to talk about the script writers or the plot lines, just to treat it as if it's kind of reality radio. And I think that's such mm. a nice, that's such a nice way of handling it. It's such a fun way of doing it. And I, I see absolutely no reason to, um, to kind of, to, to do it any differently. I think that was a sort of brilliant ploy of Nancy's, which I'm happy to carry on with. It makes it a lot of fun to write. Why do you think that this column is essential Guardian reading? You know, if you, if you were to lay out all of the UK uh, broadsheets, I'd have thought this would have sat in the Telegraph or the Express uh, um, as opposed to, to the Guardian. Why do you think it's become such a staple of the Guardian? I don't know. I think it probably is Nancy. Um, and I, I, I don't actually know the, the, um, I don't know the origin of it. Um, I think it was, I, I think it was when Nancy was winding down from other responsibilities, but this was a kind of lovely thing to do. Um, um, and it was a monthly thing, but, um, I mean, sometimes I think it's quite nice when the Guardian does something that doesn't feel terribly Guardian. And sometimes those are the best things in The Guardian when it's running slightly counterintuitive. That said, I mean, there are tons, there are tons of, you know, this, this column gets quite good numbers given that it's about a single radio program on a mm. single um, network um, that's, that we know that quite a lot of people really hate. Um, it, it, people do read it. I and beg your pardon. That's got its audience. Uh, I, 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 I beg your pardon. Well, sometimes you can't hold, you know, I'm unduly pessimistic because, you know, why would anyone, you know, why would anyone read my stupid column about the archers? But yeah, I mean, it, it, it does surprisingly well to me anyway, in terms of numbers of people who, who kind of read it. So, um, so clearly that there is, there are a lot of Guardian reading uh, archers listeners and, you know, in a way, why wouldn't there be? We're all listening, you know, Guardian readers, Radio 4 listeners, quite a big crossover there. You know, the middle classes, what am I trying, what am I, you know, why, why pretend otherwise? Why pretend otherwise? <laughs> How have you found the rabid partisan na- uh, nature of Archer's fandom? Because, you know, we do, a lot of us do believe that this is, our version uh, of, of the archers and um and we can be quite vociferous um about other people's interpretations or the script writers or some of the actors and whatever so you know some of us can be a little bit of a vicious bunch how, how have you dealt with that with people saying oh you, you're no nancy bank smith or whatever or you know or what you said uh, last week in your column um i completely disagree with yeah i, I mean I've been a journalist for 25 years and you kind of get to the point where you take that stuff on the chin, you know, um, and, and I'm well aware, you know, I also feel very strongly about certain things in the arts that I have very strong. I understand that people have very strong feelings and you know, I've dipped in and out of the Facebook groups and I know the sort of things that people say. And I, generally, I just think this is completely brilliant because people are so creative and so interesting in what they um in, in what they pick out of the storylines and, and the, the the kind of analysis they have of different, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a certain amount of rough and tumble. Um, let's say, as you say, passions passions can rise quite fiercely. Um, but in general, I just I, I'm amazed at the the sort of um, 
perspicacity that people bring to bear on what is, after all, only a soap opera. Not really. it, it's the soap, the soap, the <laughs> oldest in the world. It's the soap. Yeah. Um, one, of the re- one of the things which I really wanted to talk to you about is what I kind of perceive to be this kind of passing of the baton. It seems to me that in the last year, um, we have a whole load of younger characters. And, and, and what's really significant for me is that these aren't necessarily solid middle class waitress sandwich eating uh, young folk. You know, we have the cases. Uh, obviously, we have Brad and George now, etc. Um, what says you, Charlotte, about this? Uh, all these, all these new characters which have come in, which a lot of them don't even have, um, you know, receiver pronunciation accents. You know, I, I, the, the cases are at brumming me even. <laughs> the case, I know, no, it's good. I, I'm. I think it's good. Is it good? I don't know. I mean, in a way, part of the part of the joy of the Nancy Bank Smith um, technique, let's call it, is it's just it's just accepting what comes in a way and not 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 being heavily critical. Oddly, if if you can understand that, so I'm not, I, I don't um, I don't have kind of strong prescriptions in my mind about what the screenwriters uh, the scriptwriters should or shouldn't do. In a way, I just kind of I'm fascinated by it and, uh, you know, kind of accept what what comes. I do think um, the rise of the House of Horrorbin is, you know, clearly the big, um, the, the big slow burn arc. And I'm quite interested in that, that the idea that what for, for most of my lifetime were the unspeakable, you know, you could not, the Horrorbins were unspeakable, um, mm. as, a, as a as a family clan, they were the lowest of the low. They were the lumpen proletariat, basically of of Ambridge, and um, their rise to prominence um, it, 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 it amuses me greatly. I kind of revel in this. Actually, I know there are lots of people who um, feel like if I never heard from another Horribin, that would be fine. You know, this is all a bit ridiculous. But I I quite like this slow motion. Marxist <laughs> revolution, and I quite like the way the Horribin, the rise of the Horribins, at least in pre, uh, you know, it seems to have softened a bit in the last month or so, but at least for a time, seemed to be being balanced by the absolute cataclysmic fall of the House of, of Aldridge. Um, Aldridge, exactly. But then, like, they seem to have pulled themselves back from the brink, sadly. Um, so yeah, and I, I, yeah, I'm kind of into the um, I'm into George and Brad. I thought I, I was really properly gripped by the George and Brad um, interchanges uh, while they were haymaking mm. um, because I thought actually yeah, we don't we sort of need an unpleasantly manipulative nasty character who's just going to chuck a chuck a spanner into the works um, and you know really kind of messed things up a bit for people and I thought yeah yeah bring it George you horrible little piece of work well you know absolutely and considering that I always say that I love episodes of the archers when nothing happens just give me people just talking about nothing and I'm just happy for 12 minutes that 
the more I sit down and realize it, that actually we do, it always does need a villain, doesn't it? It does need a Matt Crawford or a Greg or just someone who's just thoroughly unpleasant. And um, it seems to help kind of crystallize things. You know, we, we do need a baddie. And to start off with a baddie so young, I think it's kind of unprecedented, really. Generally, the baddies float in fully formed as a bit of a wrong and like, like a Matt Crawford. We didn't well, yes, I suppose you've got Roy. You've got racist Roy. And you, usually, I suppose, um, in, in my mind, I think, well, you know, in the arts, usually these bad characters are at least halfway redeemed. So, you know, is, is George going to have a rather tedious arc of, you know, becoming a nice person in about five years' time? Who knows? I mean, no, I can see, I can see some some shakings of the head from fellow <laughs> uh, fellow participants in the session. Um, so yes, uh, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I do think also the Horribans for me um, is giving us some really. I mean, maybe a lot of us don't want to think about the cost of living crisis uh, on the arches because we've got enough of it in our own lives. Thank you very much. However, I do think from the point of view of actually engaging. And at least lightly in the real world, it is kind of. I I I, I quite like it um, that um, this is getting horribly real for Tracy, and um, the cost of living crisis is being reflected in even in the Sutton uplands of uh, of Lakey Hill. Mm. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and that they. I don't know whether this was, whether, obviously, because the Horribans, as you rightly say, were always the lowest of the low, you know, much lower than the Grundys. The Grundys looked down at the at the Horribans. And hence, um, one of Susan's kind of story arcs was always the fact that she tried to distance herself away from a Horribin forebears and a wider family. Um, how do you think? that um let's say this the the cases i know you said you're kind of just living in the moment type mm. of thing but th- there has to be some direction for the cases um mm. what possible what do you think that possibly might actually be yeah it's extremely hard to tell isn't it i mean like just floating around becoming i mean it seems it, in a way it seems a bit trivial at the moment doesn't it that this kind of minor plot line about the staff best best Ben thing. Sorry, I always have to include S in this because. Well, I, I did like that line. That all the same sounding name. It's ridiculous. Beth, 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 Ben, Bess, and Seth. In fact, to the extent that when I first wrote about these Casey girls, I got them mixed up and I had to run a wretched correction in the paper because I'd misheard Steph for Beth or, you know, annoying me greatly. Yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm finding it hard to finding it hard to figure out what function they're going to um uh they're going to provide long term i mean the, 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 i do think you know vince what is vince is a sort of self-made uh entrepreneur i suppose you know that the whole the, the abattoir's quite uh, he's a brummy yeah. which of course you know i think that is as you say that's really important the arches is made in Birmingham and you know please can we have a proper Brummie character yes here's a proper Brummie character the the abattoir of course is quite an you know it's an interesting factor of farming life um but uh I thought Vince showed promise at one point because he was so interested in art and I thought oh my goodness maybe um Vince is like a secret aesthete and incredible art collector do you remember I mean it was ages ago now but 
he and Russ had a kind of moment in the um, putative, I think, art gallery in Lower Loxley and um, Basquet. Yes, we were talking. Yeah, and he knew Basquet. Yeah. He had, he had views. He had like mm. interesting sounding views on that. This hasn't been picked up at all. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? I, I just feel that they're sort of bumbling around. And and it was, you know, again, the sort of idea that Vince might be a badder, but he was sort of softened into actually, you know, mm. a, bit a bit of a rough diamond, but actually, um, you know, he's made lots of mistakes in his life, has spoiled his daughters, thinks that problems can be solved with money. But actually, deep down, he's um, he's a bit of a sweetie, and uh, it's all um, and you know he's no Nigel, but kind of thing. Um, yeah. He'll make well, happy, I, but it's, it's I enough. just thought, yeah, I just thought. Well, when when he first came in, well, this is very obviously Jack Woolley Mark too. Um, mm. The fact that and and obviously he's been an enabler for his one daughter in terms of a, a bad behaviour. But he did turn around two, three weeks ago, didn't he? And actually say, no, I'm going to stop indulging you, et cetera. But I think it's really interesting when you speak to people like, like Kerry Davis, you realize that when a new character comes into the Archers, for the most part, they have no idea where they're going to go. They just kind of make it up slightly as, go, as, as they go along. But I think they set in place some level of parameters that they're going to interact with this person, that person. But then it depends very much on serendipity, but then also how well the actor actually does in that role. And they say, oh, we need yeah. more of them. Then they create the supporting exactly. cast, yeah. you know. And, and so Tracy Horobin coming in, back into it, it was because of the popularity of Susie, Susie Reed's the actor, you know, because, you know, it, but it, they, they didn't think they were going to build a whole family kind of around her, you know, that just come over time because they need to cement her as a, as a, an essential part of, of Ambridge. But right now we do have, and I keep saying this, but I'm so blooming heartened that we have so many of you on this considering it's in the middle of the middle of the work day. Um, you've had, you've had uh, enough of me. You hear me on the podcast every, every week. So why don't we throw this out for questions? Quentin Rayner, you knew exactly where I was going with this. You were muted. When I was in mid mid flow, knowing I was going to uh, hand hand the mic over, so why don't you pose a question, Quentin? Go for it. Hi there, thanks for joining us uh, this morning <laughs> for, for your insight. Um, I've got lots to ask you actually, but uh, I just want to pick up on the fact that you say that you just take it as real, and it's actually uh, a real village with, with real characters. When you're writing your column, how on earth do you resist not putting the boots into some really stupid plot lines? Because, I mean, if you've read the tweet along, as you say, you read Facebook posts, it drives us nuts. And we've had a real gamut of them recently, haven't we? We've had uh, you know, the war story with Lillian and we had uh, the Easter Bunny that went on for far too long. And then we had Steph, that ridiculous party. And how do you resist not putting the boots in? Quentin, there are ways of doing it. I feel that I, I, I feel that there are times when my irritation does show, um, but it, but it, but it shows through this kind of um, lens of as if it's real. Um, I did once let slip actually, and said it's been a really bad month or something, and I got actually readers didn't like that at all, and I thought you know I got sort of cross with it. Um, 
um and you know let slip the kind of illusion that it was real slightly and readers didn't like it and I thought no okay I I I didn't like it either I didn't think it worked as well so um but yes I do I do I do find ways of I I hope showing my irritation I mean as you say I I mean I think I think I mean I, I I'm not sure the art is, is in its best phase at the moment, I have to say. You know, I'm not, I, I agree. I think there's been some pretty ropey, there's been some pretty ropey stuff. And, yeah. yeah. And I'm probably more or less on the same page as you with some of those little plot lines. Hmm. We hope for best days. <laughs> we do, we do. But in, in that sense, do you think it's transitional? I mean, do you think these annoying plot lines, the introduction of a lot of young, you know, new characters who are young, uh, do you think the editorial team is thinking we need to refresh, you know, uh, June Spencer, that's a cotton socks is 103, you know, they're all getting older, aren't they? Do you think we are in that transitional phase and we're just going to have to get used to these new characters and and just accommodate them bit by bit? Yeah, I imagine so. I imagine so. Um, I feel like, I feel, I feel like we are um, in need of, a good slow burn, sort of slightly nail bitey plot line. I mean, we, we've had the Chris and Alice plot has seems to have, unless there's going to be an enormous um, disaster, um, feels like it's it's sort of calming down now. Um, yeah. The Grey Gables is hardly going to have us, um, you know, switching on the radio with, you know, kind of with the whites of our eyes, you know, uh, chewing our nails, is it? although it is sort of interesting. They seem to be turning it. I always thought they should turn it into the pig. You know, I don't know. Have you ever, well, it's a kind of posh chain of hotels and country locations uh, where they have. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I've been to one. I went, I, went, I went to one the other day up in Harlan. Yes. Yes. But, well, yeah, they yeah. have their own, they have their own vegetable gardens and they yes. only source produce from a 25 mile radius. Very modern. I thought, yeah. But anyway, that's, a really, that's a really good idea. <laughs> they're, they're doing great business down here. I, I tell you, um, I'll, I'll give the floor to somebody else in a minute. But um, I presented uh, Dumpty Dumper quite a while with, with Philippa Hall, and I have to ask you. Uh, I mean, I scripted a, a pull together of the week for each Dumpty Dum, and that took, you know was hard enough. Just uh, um, you know, subbing a whole week's worth of, of the archers into a script. Now, how on earth do you go about subbing a month's worth into one column? How do you go about it? Well, I have to say it's really changed my listening habits because yes. I used to, I used to, um, in in real life, in a normal non-professional life, I would, um, you know, I'd listen to the archers, but I wouldn't, I wasn't fanatically attached to listening to every single episode. So if I wasn't in at 7 p.m., um, or hadn't managed to catch the omnibus, you know, if I missed the odd one, that was fine. That's the whole joy of the archers, right? You know, even, in fact, years can elapse and you can still tap in. So missing the odd episode is never an issue. Sure. Um, these days, of course, it, it really feels like I've got, you know, I've got to be on top of every episode. I cannot miss a moment. Yes. So, so I've, yes. changed. I've become a person who I, I sort of dip in and out. And then um, the weekend before my deadline, I go on a long walk. I'll go on two long walks <laughs> and listen to all the on the bus. Yeah. While I'm walking on my phone, while I'm walking, um, if I hear something kind of funny or that I feel like I could 
mm. run with or interests me. I just make a quick note on my phone and yes, um, and I do it like that. But but, yes. but um, I think my job is different from your job because when you were doing that, you I I, I expect felt that you had to you had to cover the bases. Whereas I don't really have to cover the bases. I I get to um, pick out stuff that mm. is interesting to mm. me or um, yeah. Um, Particular, you know, it feels like there might be a couple of jokes in it. It's 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 light touch across the whole terrain, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Some... I'm, I'm li- yeah, I'm listening out for kind of moments that where I think that's that's really great, or that's really funny, or that's really embarrassing. Or but you have to get you have, you're right, Charlotte. You have to get it right because this lot <laughs> know oh their art, don't they? Oh yes, <laughs> you can't I get have, it wrong. Yeah, and I do get it wrong. Of course, I get it wrong because my memory. Is fallible. There are things that I, um, oh, I, uh, I've made some. T- I've made some really some absolute. Um, I got. I I um, invented a car. I don't know why I did this really, but I invented a car for Jim. For, I just. I just. It just had passed me by. The Jim owned a very famously important car, and of course, yeah. you know, twenty-seven thousand Archers listeners wrote to me and said, "How could you possibly?" Not know that you know Jim has this very important Riley, and so you know correction. <laughs> In fact, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. I've made mistakes as well. You get, they, 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 they tick you off very nicely. I found though, it's all very polite. It, no, it, it's it's lovely, and I'm 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 a person who's very happy to be. I hate I hate error, so I'm always. Um, I'm always the person who's much happier to get it corrected immediately than than sort of uh, you know yes. drag around an error. Uh, one one more question: Do you agree with me that the uh, the definition of an archer's listener, frankly, is somebody who spends ninety eight percent of their time tearing their hair out, is just absolutely infuriated and annoyed by this wretched program? But there's that two percent, the nuggets that keeps you going. Do you think that is the definition of a true archer's listener? Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up in my household um, in the 80s in Stoke-on-Trent, uh, the archers represented a few minutes of calm when the family didn't have to have an argument with with each other. Usually we ate, listened to it while eating supper, so the sort of truce was called. But um, but also a great feature, I just <laughs> my family were very anti-Susan Carter, and so when there was, um, um, the, they were all horrid. I mean, this is a kind of one step on from what you're saying. When when Susan went to prison, my um, my family were very angry with all the Archers fans who thought it was wrong that she should go to prison. <laughs> and there was a sort of mini household crusade that the kidney <laughs> should be forthwith thrown away and that Susan should rot in prison. So, um, yes, <laughs> this irritation <laughs> takes many different strange forms as well. Um, yes. Yeah, no, it's a lot yeah. of fun. Um, I can see these great um, chat stuff on the chat that everyone's pointing out about Vince. Quite rightly, that Vince was sort of introduced to be an irritant and a challenge to um, David, which of course is a strong point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Thank you, Charlotte. Anyway, Thank you very much, Charlotte. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, right. Um, if you've got a question, now is the time to unmute and whilst you're. A, thinking of your question, B, struggling with the unmute function. Um, there is a question which I have from our Stephen Bowden, who is a good denizen of uh, 
of uh, of dum de dum. His question, quite simply, Charlotte, is how comes uh, your columns don't go up on the website as soon as, as other kind of uh, feature pieces? Why does he have to wait uh, days? Because he says it's, it's frustrating him. It's annoying, isn't it? Uh, it's to do with, and I'm no expert on this, but. It is to do with the fact that The Guardian publishes a huge, 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 huge amount of material on a Saturday, and yet Saturday is our lowest web-reading day. And so um, according to those people, in my, of my colleagues who know about this stuff, which is not me, um, uh, it, is, it is sort of somehow better... <laughs> Um, things get things get read more um, if they the publication is is um, staggered, and for that reason, it's the same. For example, this is the one I find especially annoying: is that um, the recipes aren't published online until the following week, um, which is annoying if I have forgotten to buy a paper but really want to know what Rachel Roddy has written about that week. So. Um, I share your feelings of frustration, and um, that is broadly the explanation. Please don't ask me to defend it, because um, I'm a mere onlooker in this. It's, it's, as it were, not my decision. (laughs) Well, that completely uh, pans out with uh, podcast downloads, that um, you want to upload a podcast on a Sunday night so people listen to it actually on a Monday on their commute to work. That's a, a well-known thing. And when I used to run myvillage.com, web stats collapsed at the weekend. That actually, it's, uh, it, it's kind of counterintuitive. You'd think that everybody surfs at the weekend, but actually they surf during work days and work hours and then at the early evening. But anyway, Mike Gunn, you're unmuted. You've held your finger up not once, but twice. Uh, uh, ask your question. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'd like to put a, a point to Charlotte about, about the Guardian, which is that I see the Guardian as part of a natural constituency of, of listeners. Um, when the message board was, uh, the BBC set up its message board over 20 years ago, um, the first thing I'd say is that it was very funny. Everybody really found the archers very amusing and funny and made lots of witty comments. But it also came out in, in the wider discussions that took place that about 90% of the people on the original message board were actually Guardian readers. Um, it was possible that there was just, you know, a majority of Guardian readers and the other people w- were frightened to speak up and say they read other papers. But mm-hmm. I, I think you can look at the Archers as, as, as a sort of rather amusing critique of British society. And I, I, think, I think that's why I think it works on that level a, a great deal of the time. Um, the other point I would make is that um, uh, is it's about characters that they bring in new characters and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And the type of character that they're actually lacking at present, which I think George may turn into, is the lovable rogue, uh, the person who is basically a bit unscrupulous and dishonest. But you can't help liking them. I know that not everybody liked uh, Walter Gabriel or not everybody liked. Um, Joe Grundy. But, but for me, they're the really great characters that when they come on and they do something a bit dodgy, uh, that's what I really enjoy. You know, the rest of the arches and so on, I could do without, but, but that's the bit which I really enjoy. Uh, I, I'd be interested in your, in your reaction to that. 
Yeah, I think that is a really, um, that's a really terrific point. And um, to your first point, that's very interesting too. I I also wonder about the crossover between people who were willing to use message boards in the sort of early days mm. of message boards and Guardian readers, because I think Guardian readers somehow probably more tech savvy than Telegraph readers, it's, you know, slightly more urban media savvy, you know, the Guardian very early on its website, all of that. But yeah point taken completely that's really good to know and the lovable rogue thing yeah i suppose when you put it in those terms it does feel like that's quite um um the sort of george george's character um if you put it like that he becomes a chip off the old block doesn't he in a really interesting way this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And um, I, I, I like it when I like it when you can feel the, the history and heritage of The Guardian sort of um, coming through into the present and... Yeah, is he he's good because Eddie Eddie's not a lovable rogue anymore. He's just lovable, isn't he? He's he's sort yeah. of ceased actually to become a rogue. Um um but he definitely was in the eighties. Um as you say, his grandfather George's grand um great grandfather um was certainly um a, a roguish uh, person. Um someone's saying could George turn into a character like Jazza has become his trick. I think there's a huge I think the it seems to me like the archers does have a it does get tempted into softening its rogue. So Jazza was yeah. a bit rogue. You know, Jazza is now Jazza is now like the moral core of the, of the archers in this highly unlikely way, yeah. along yeah. with the rest of the uh, um, of of uh, the Horobin um, Jazza kind of um, confederation. Um, but yeah, Pam on chat is saying there's a nastiness to George and no lovability. I do think that, but so far that I, I've seen, I haven't seen much redeeming features. What I, um, I mean, setting fire to the post box, I, I have to admit because I've been um, away and not listening every day, I'm relying on my massive catch up, so I haven't heard it. I haven't heard every single episode since the. Um, are, um, setting fire to the post box 
was that him being presumably that was him was it him oh yes well it, it was it was doing down the favor or was it is it was it sort of um I mean, was there any lovability to Cecil? It, it, it wasn't made absolutely explicit, but I think you join up the dots, and you know, it's too much of a coincidence that the thing oh. caught fire and he was in the vicinity and so on, and he mentioned lighter fuel. So, Clary I found, mean, Clary, Clary found lighter fuel in his hoodie. Yeah, yeah. So, so I suppose the charitable interpretation to that would be he he had found a way of helping his. Of helping Clary and Susan out of their, this difficulty yeah. when Susan, it was an unbelievably stupid, actually, I thought, plot line that Susan would be uh, kind of, you know, blackmailing, um, um, you know, the stalwart of the WI um, around. I, I mean, I just thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, the, the thing is that destroying, you know, setting fire to Her Majesty's mail is obviously a crime. But it's not the worst crime in the world. You know, there are people who do much worse things, I think, and, you know, much worse crimes. So I, I regard that as, you know, kind of, I can tolerate that in a way. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By the way, um, Peggy guessing nasty with age is, a, is coming up on the chat, which I think is a brilliant point. Like, <laughs> when is the village going to rise up against Peggy? You've just given me a wonderful, wonderful image of everybody, you know, with pitchforks. Um <laughs> turning on this um, you know ancient woman and her evil cat um and she has just done a very unpleasant thing it's true what a ridiculous thing to do with a wretched stained glass window yeah. on the uh, true that now um let's let's go just for an, another eight minutes good people so if you have a a question within you let the question be free put it out into the ether uh, um unmute yourself and go for it Hi, Charlotte. It's Lillian McCarthy here from Middlesbrough. Can you hi, hear me? I can. Hello hi there. there. Nice to meet you. Hello there. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, um, two, I've got two questions for you, if I may. Um, the first one was, uh, getting back to Vince, um, I had a theory that the reason he was so desperate to need to lend that money to um, David and Ruth for the solar panels was because he knows that he has some sort of terminal illness and he's not going to be able to spend that money. What are your feelings about that? <laughs> my feelings are, whoa, that never crossed my mind. That is so interesting. Let's wait and see what happens. Okay. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that at all, Lillian, but... Um, well, he was just so insistent. And what made me think about it was when David finally agreed to accept it, it was a great big hug, <laughs> which seems quite extreme for um, such a, a, a kind of male man, if you like, as Vince, to actually give somebody a hug. Yeah, but I bet it was one of those if big that makes man, any sense. Like, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And Very then cool. my other... Oh. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. And okay. then my, Give time sorry, time right, on that one. Yeah, I want to know. It oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, my other question, um, and probably one that everybody's wanting to know, is: Are you finding it really annoying that they're not telling us who the new owner is of Grey Gables? And when they asked all the questions, they had the meeting. Nobody actually 
asked that question and you're not turning around and telling me that the people of Ambridge don't want to know. We think, on our WhatsApp Sunday Archers group, we think it's Hazel. <gasps> oh, my God. That's so good. That's very clever. That's very clever. But I, I personally think that's much more plausible than Vince has got a terminal illness. Although I, 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 I'm ready to be proved wrong on that. Um, that's so clever. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it is bizarre. I completely agree that it's totally bizarre and strange that this new owner thing is shrouded in secrecy and it's total nonsense. Yes, I like it. Yeah. It would also, uh, you know, be a way of honouring Jack, wouldn't it? You know, her, her dad, you know, so it would make complete and utter, and utter sense. Hasn't yeah. she got a terminal illness, though, or has she just got long COVID? That question's aimed at me. It's, uh, it's aimed at the wrong person. Anybody feel... <laughs> to mute and answer she, that. She wasn't very well, was she? But I think I think oh, it was, um, she, yeah, it was, she, she, it was she, long she, COVID. Yeah, she's had COVID. COVID. She, okay, so she's not. She, yeah, she she's came shuffling into cool. Ambridge and had to be helped by Peggy yeah. and Kate, didn't yeah. she? Right. Uh, some people uh, thought she was putting it on. <clears throat> yes. Uh, five five minutes, good people. So um, five minutes. Uh, get get your questions in. It's not every day you have. Um, the the Guardian's uh, foremost Archer's writer right in front of you, I'm ready and primed. Guardian Archer's writer, I think, was like, <laughs> so I'll take that. I am the foremost Guardian Archer. <laughs> you are the foremost. You are the foremost. Yeah, I'm the foremost. I'm I thought they were a Merseyside <laughs> pop group. Sorry. I thought um, the foremost were a Merseyside pop group. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so what, what? how long have you actually been working for, for the Guardian, twenty five years since nineteen ninety seven. Since just shortly after Tony Blair became prime minister, I know oh, wow. you wouldn't be able to believe it, would you? I was a child. You won the Blair's babes, then, were you? Uh, please no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because I, I must admit, right, I just kind of know you from doing the article obviously i didn't know you before but like what would what exactly is your role as, as a journalist at the archers because you did did a thing about um the, the, com- the commonwealth games opening and stuff yeah, so yeah. what are you the cultural writer you were, what, what in what exactly is your hat that you wear uh, at, at the garden chief cultural writer mm-hmm. i do um but that doesn't mean that i have lots of other smaller culture writers working for me. I'm just, that's just my ridiculous Are you title. the foremost culture writer then? Is that what you're saying? Um, no comment. <laughs> I, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ever describe it that way. Put, let's put it that way. I've got lots of amazing colleagues. Um, I, um, I write a, I've just started writing a reg- regular cultural column on the op-ed pages of which you, you talk about a piece that I wrote about the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games 10 years on. That was one of those columns which has just started. I write features for the arts pages. I write book reviews. I um, And I, perhaps most you know onerously in a way, I write articles for the long read section, which is so my big piece on the arches. Um, was an article for the long read 
So I, 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 I write for different parts of the paper. Everything that I do is broadly about culture. I mean, culture taken in quite a broad sense, which is why it includes things like the Olympics and quite a lot of, I mean, I bring sort of politics into things where it seems like a good idea, particularly on the op-ed pages. How excited were you? Charlotte, how excited were you? Charlotte, how excited, how, how excited were you the other day when Susan made a reference to cancel culture? You must have fallen off your, your chair. <laughs> yeah, it's quite it is quite funny, isn't it? When the when the sort of type when the sort of um, motifs of real contemporary life uh, <laughs> wander into the wander into the arches. And part of me just wants to say there's one place that I could really do without the culture wars, and that is <laughs> rich. <laughs> Uh, we've got a question here uh, from Bob Flutter. Most of the chats uh, picks up on a point we, some of us have been making. Do you believe the younger characters are attracting younger listeners to the Archers? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, how would that, how would that even work? Do you know what I mean? I mean, mm. I... <laughs> you mean if they're not listening um, in the first place? Yeah. Yes. But actually, there's there are a lot there are a lot of strong plot lines attract listeners to the Archers. Actually, don't they? I mean, I think the sort of Rob Hallen attracted listeners to the Archers, but I don't think the facts of having a sixty. I mean, maybe may, you know, maybe if you're if, if it's on in the background and you're a kid, and then and you hear yeah. and you hear stuff like you know Brad's Brad's anxieties about going to university or having enough money or. um you know, maybe that does. I mean, it's bound. It's bound to have some effect, but I, I don't see it sort of revolutionising the listener base of the archers anytime soon. It's an article recently. You probably saw it. Uh, Jeffrey, Jeremy Howe was quoted as saying that actually the the demographic that's increasing in terms of archers listenership are the younger audiences, and that's because it's tied into the whole podcast char, uh, yeah. culture. And he called it the new. Didn't he call it the new rock and roll? The archers is the new rock and roll. <laughs> but the younger, you know, the, the younger demographic, the sort of twenty-eight to thirty-five, is increasing. Yeah, and as you say, that I'm sure that's to do with podcast culture, and just yeah. you know, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different world out there, and that's really great. Yes. As to whether the archers is the new rock and roll, Jeremy is a person who often speaks with gentle irony. <laughs> I think he does. <laughs> but do you think these? Just pick up on Bob's point. Do you think these younger stories? Will retain those younger listeners who are who appear to be gravitating. To what I definitely think. What I definitely think is that the archers can only that the archers as as a long form drama um, that exists in real time can only renew itself mm. by by renewing its own by renewing its characters and, and keeping um, and, and keeping this cycle in motion where you know people are born. <laughs> People reach the age of sixteen and miraculously start to speak, um, yeah. and people die. You know, it, because it's like life. So, yeah. you know, in that sense, it, it, it has to. It has to. And I like it. I mean, I, I, I mean, the, I suppose the one young character that I think has seriously gone off the rails through no fault of his own, but I do think is is sort of rather oddly written at the moment is Rory and his career as a. I mean, what? That, I mean, I do think that's seriously deranged. That this middle yeah. um executive would be wanting to to pay Rory for I mean it's just no for for, for company I think it is for, it's for company isn't it for company <laughs> I know but I mean 
<laughs> I mean, I think I've got a couple of, I mean, there are a couple of 18-year-old boys that I really, you know, friends of my children who I just think are absolutely spectacularly brilliant people. But, you know, would you really, would you really pay an 18-year-old to kind of accompany you to corporate events? Yeah. And no, nobody asked any questions either. It's extraordinary. Isn't it? <laughs> exactly. How, exactly. How, how, does, how, does, how does she introduce him at these corporate events? He's, maybe it's my nephew. Maybe it's like that. Maybe it's like a sort of, you right. know, Renaissance Pope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I said as much on Dumpty Dum um, a couple of months ago and, 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 and was derided on, on the Twitters. I was called ageist and all manner of things. If it was purely a traditional escort service which he was providing, which was given a you know, little bit of a housey father. Well, then it makes complete and utter sense. He's a young man in, in the prime of his life and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it makes no sense for it to take him to corporate events as whatever the heck he is. But on the note, though, that um, you talked about the archers renewing the cycle of life, you know, births, marriages, deaths, and whatever, I think this recording has probably come to um, a fitting end as well. All right, so I'd like to thank you, Charlotte Higgins, for, for, for being with us. And uh, we'll have to do this again. C- can we do this again? I'd absolutely love to. I'm only sorry that I was a little bit late coming on, um, but I would absolutely love to. It's been a, it's been a real joy. Also, I can steal your ideas from my next column. Which was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice to talk about the archers, but I don't talk about it with other people enough. This is great. We'll we'll, we'll do this a couple of times a year. You can come, come on here, pill for all of our great insights, and then pass them off as your own. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) uncredited. Everybody, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for. I was going to say taking time out of your work day, but most of you said you retired anyway. No, this channel's shaking. I don't work. You know, <laughs> but it's really good to see so many of you. As I, as I said at the start, you know, we haven't done this for quite some time. We're going to resurrect this, uh, but maybe move it back to its uh, traditional slot on a Friday. Maybe doing it seven thirty uh, after the archers. Do, do it once a month. It's just a great way for us all to get together, talk about the archers with somebody who is kind of like key uh, to the archers, whether it's a writer like Charlotte or maybe one of the actors um, on the show. So. On that note, um, I'm going to say tatty bye to our bit. And um, Charlotte, um, just tell us know, tell us what you're actually working on at the moment. Uh, tell us where people can find you on social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and then we can properly say Arabic. Okay, on on Twig on Twiggy on Twitter, I'm at Chiggy. Um, and um, at the moment, I'm working on some very serious-minded op-ed pieces about you know politics and arts funding and stuff like that. Yeah, serious. Fab. All right. Well, there you go. Go Thank follow Chiggy. I've also, also written a very funny piece that's coming. I think on Tuesday. I think it's funny about the way one of my books has been um, um, adapted into a rom-com, which is uh, a play, a play, a rom-com, a play thing that's being staged in Scotland next week. So um, I had a lot. Of, I've been having lots of fun with that. Anyway, there you go there you go all right folks uh don't forget if you don't do so already listen to the podcast and i'm referring to the dum dum podcast because i'm taking it as granted uh you listen to the Ar- the archers either live or in podcast format uh ta for now thank you thank you Bye-bye. bye bye
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 